welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s. I'm your host, Natalie, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hadrian. How's it going, Hadrian? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's, we're recording this the day before November 3rd, which is the election here in the United States. Enough said about that. Yep, everything's cool. Um, so let's uh, let's take this show just right off and then talk about uh, the Reverend Horton Heat, Smoke Them If You Got em, from 1990. Cool, yeah. So I picked this album this week. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I surprised you with that. Usually we talk before the show about the yeah, order. Yeah, I was like, we're going to talk about the Lemonheads. Like, no, we're talking about Reverend Horton no, Heat. No, so. well, we'll uh, how much can you say about that Lemonheads album? It's furniture. It's it's good, but the lyrics bit not so much. So, uh, yeah. so let's talk about talk- Reverend Horton Heat. All right, so Reverend Horton Heat is a, a, ba- a psychobilly band, a rockabilly psychobilly. They don't really. They're in the weird like Texas category of this of this genre where they play the gambit of anyone that has any music genre that has Billy on the end and it's a little bit of country. And, and surf rock, and, yeah, and because, swing and big band. So before we talk about this band in particular, Psychobilly itself is sort of descendant from punks that liked rockabilly, but also just liked some dope ass guitar playing, and it's tangentially connected to the uh, Johnny Cash song "One Piece at a Time." That's where the Cramps actually took the word Psychobilly when they were doing their like. They call their carny uh, pitchman way of trying to get people to come to their shows. And so they've actually, the cramps are most tied to the foundation of Psychobilly when it comes to this, but they have kind of gone, yeah, we're not though, but they absolutely are because even as their career progressed, they got even more Psychobilly. Uh, but they didn't intend for it to be a genre of music. So really, it's all rockabilly. At, at some degree, there are some rockabillies bands that are more goth there are some that are more country there are some that are straight down the middle and Reverend Horton Heat they're kind of straight down the middle with a little more humor mixed in than some and I think that's just the nature of being a touring band they just started making fun shit for themselves and yeah so yeah and I don't think they're a band that like cares a whole hell of a lot about lyrics I mean not saying they don't care but Given the number of instrumentals on this album, it seems like the music is the focus. <laughs> and later, and so some of the lyrics are just funny. And later on in the career, there's less instru- instrumental pieces. There are less instrumental pieces and more just like songs to, you know, kind of shuffle to, songs to drink to. It's a Texas band situation. This is like, this is another side of Texas music of just like, we play in big ass bars where someone's eating nachos and drinking a beer. <laughs> And then someone starts a fight. Yeah, well, they don't like that. <laughs> they absolutely don't. I've, I've seen this. Ba- I can't remember if I've seen them once or twice. They come through Fayetteville a lot, and actually, there is a a Fayetteville, Arkansas connection. Um, that uh, Jim Heath, who is the band leader, it, they're kind of it's kind of a Marilyn Manson situation where mm-hmm. he is the Reverend Horton Heat, and also the band is the Reverend Horton Heat. Um, but before. Uh, Horton Heat started, he played uh, some gigs with a band called Hot House Tomato Boys, who oh, are from really? Arkansas, who I've never heard of. Um, so it was probably before my time. It was probably in the what mid-80s, um, which would have been before I was old enough to go see live bands in Fayetteville. But 
Yeah, so that, only that probably them. explains why they used to play here so much. I And I only know about that because of the vinyl hour and the pick and post tend to have, like, nostalgia bents for, like, the faithful area bands that no longer exist. Yeah, um, so that's kind of cool. So I saw, so I saw them at least once. Um, I I want to say I saw them twice, but I have either no memory of the second time I saw them, or my brain has just blended the two shows together. But so yeah, I said last week that they're the only band I've ever seen live that stormed off stage, and so the the venue where that happened, there was a stage, you know, like an actual honest god stage, um, not a super tall one, but it was you know probably up to my waist at least and i'm six foot one um and then there was about a four or five foot space and then a guardrail that was like concrete you know it, it was bolted into the floor let's say it was sunk into the concrete that's the word i'm looking for so the the guardrail was not going anywhere and there's a five foot space and then you'd have to climb up on a stage to get to them in somewhere in the first or second song um, you know, it's it, the crowd's getting rowdy and banging into each other. And a girl who was probably about 22 years old and probably weighed about 110 pounds got bumped. And the upper half of her body leaned over the guardrail just a little bit. And he stopped mid-song, started yelling about how he wasn't safe, and stormed off stage. And the band followed. And then after 20 minutes or so, he was coached into coming back on stage and uh kind of apologized for overreacting and then did the rest of the set and so that's that's the main thing i remember about seeing the reverend horton eat live <laughs> yeah and like they've had a history of being attacked on stage so i get it and it's like it's people have bad nights and people can get uh you know triggered by things that you normally you wouldn't think would and i think that's just he's very sensitive about it and i get it like <laughs> like if I were attacked on stage, I wouldn't want that to happen to me again either. So, yeah, and then he spent the rest of the set drinking about one vodka tonic per song. That's about someone normal. was just having to run back and forth from the bar for him. Uh, so, you know, that is a that's a commonality I've seen with with rockabilly bands. I saw the Necromantics live too, and similar drinking situation with. Them. <laughs> Yep, which is why the Coffin Cats have a song about chasing the bottle. Yeah. Alright, so this this album is a, a a nice introduction to what you would expect from a, from a rockabilly band doing, you know, more psychobilly stuff. It's a, you've got, it's a little bit for everybody. There's a lot of instrumental stuff to just, you know, admire guitar playing to. Then there's songs like I'm Mad, which are a little more punky, but have that same, like, do 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 kind of like vibe to it and uh psychobilly freakouts the standout on this album and it i think is kind of tonally different than the rest of the album just in the way that it's done because his vocals are very in the distance very echoey it's a psychobilly freakout and then like it's it became sort of like the anthem for what psychobilly is because it's like very fast very it hits harder it's just supposed to be rowdy, and that's that's. And I think that sums up the band some is like they're they're less rowdy now. Obviously, the story Natalie told, like they they are not as rowdy as they used to be. But when they were, this is around the time that they were, and you can see where that could prompt someone to maybe cause a fight. Uh, but my favorite songs in this are 
Bullet. It's an instrumental piece, and it's just great. It starts the album, and you just put you in the zone for what you're about to get. Uh, it's a dark day, which is more of a a goth Billy. It's a dark day. Sounds like Billy Holiday, just distorted. Yeah, but it's, it's more of like a, a a goth a goth Billy focus. That's also a thing. Um, I'm not going to mention some notable bands. The Coffin Cats fit into it, uh, but they're the ones I'll mention, not the others. And then Bad Reputation, pretty classic rockabilly song, but done well. It's like it's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's not too cheesy. It's just bouncy and playful. Yeah, it's more straightforward rockabilly. Yeah. It's not so not quite as like amped up and distorted. And see, I, I like Bullet. I don't think that should have opened the album. I think I'm Mad should have been the first song. It's, I, yeah. think, I think I'm Mad and Bullet should have been switched. <laughs> I, I think um, Bullet just fits more with like, if you want to know what kind of musicianship you're about to get into, which is a big thing when it yeah, comes... Yeah, see, I don't though, because I feel like Bullet's just kind of like limp surf rock in a way. It's like, it's not bad, but it's not anywhere near, like, I'm Mad is just, you know, it has just like, fucking smoking hot guitar solos <laughs> and like and you know he's he's amped up and yeah i mean the Taurus is just i'm mad i'm mad <laughs> which is great <laughs> That's i've great. had it up to here i'm mad um <laughs> <laughs> uh, big dwarf rodeo i fucking love that song. yeah that song's really fun it, it, it's 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 a very it's one of those songs that like he definitely does humorous songs like fucking bales of bales of cocaine i feel like big dwarf rodeo is something they had to have seen on the road like they had to have seen a sign that said big dwarf rodeo and then wrote a song about it yes yeah, so it really has that feeling to me that, that, come on down and see the little dude's cowboy show <laughs> it's just that 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 texas like essence is in that song like, yeah it's something you you see it just yeah and it really just has this roadside attraction feel to it that that is very I mean, it's very 90s for one thing like there's a lot of the a lot of 90s kitsch on this album but but also like it's sincere appreciation for what they're doing but also re- recognizing the kitschiness of it yeah i think that comes through a lot on the song marijuana which i like a lot yeah it's that song just is like great. sleazy ass swamp rock but with a little bit of like uh, I don't know. Would you would you call it ranchero? It, it's like, a little bit there, yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's why I, I made the distinction of saying that they're a Texas psychobilly band because that is where they're from is so ingrained with the kind of music that they make. And like, even if you take a look at like this first album cover, uh, he's wearing a just like a seersucker suit. Yeah, but but it's a. It's a western style yeah. suit, and it, it, like he's he's a cowboy man here to do cowboy things. Yeah, and has like this, just the shit eating grin on his face. On yeah, that. which sums up kind of everything about the band in one image, and that's great. Uh, but yeah, that's a, I love I love the swamp rock aspect of marijuana. I begrudgingly really like Eat Steak. Yeah, I mean it's a fantastic song. It just gets stuck in my head yeah. way too much. So apparently, the Cattle Association did use that as as part of a commercial. <laughs> Uh, they did not use the second part of the song. <laughs> they didn't use the one verse that talks about slaughtering cows in somewhat graphic detail. Mm, yes. Uh, but yeah, Love Whip's great. D for Dangerous fucking rocks. Really? I mean, I'd see. Okay, so I had in my notes that the those are like a downer of an ending, those two songs, because I don't think either of them is good. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think they're, they're not, I mean, they're not as like great as It's a Dark Day or Bad Reputation or anything like that, but I just... 
I, I like the the guitar in D for Dangerous. Yeah, so this album was recorded twice. Mm. Um, it was they recorded it like most bands record, where they recorded the parts separately and then mixed them, and they hated how it sounded. And the only track that they didn't re-record is Love Whip. Okay. And I think it shows like in a big bad way <laughs> that I think Love Whip sounds so weak compared to the other songs on the album. Like it's just so it doesn't sound like this band. Yeah. Uh, so they so they hated it, and then they just went back in and re-recorded it live. That's I mean, fair. they just yeah, they just played played through their set, and and that was how they recorded. And it sounds so much more. I mean, this sounds exactly like how they sound if you see them live. Yeah, and and I think that's a this is a time when music like this was produced in a certain way. It's they're not you know they're not victims of Nashville, but Nashville producing of music musicians that play this way or sound this way was kind of industry standard so that's where you get like each piece recorded separately and put into put into a mix which is why all like national albums have this real like just hollow feel to it it's the whole reason that outlaw country is a thing because it started with uh oh god chris christopherson wanted to play a song the way he fucking played it went live and they wouldn't let him so he was like fuck you i'm gonna go do it and so that's why you have that that tonal distinction and so then that always became the case oh you're playing a guitar this way we're going to record that separately so it doesn't get lost in the mix blah 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 turns out you don't need to fucking do that it sounds better if you don't do that and this is a good test case for that uh, it's okay so i have as the person who has like recorded stuff i am going to fight you on that like it depends on the band you, you don't really want a punk band to record that way like just go in and record you know record like you would live because you need that energy but like every recording I've ever done has been well, and I've recorded in a professional recording studio well, <laughs> and like it was that was how we did it. We all recorded our the drummer recorded first and then everyone else put their parts down. on. Now uh, let, let me go back and, and clarify what I said. There is a hollowness to the way Nashville was producing things, which was leading into the way that things like Psychobilly was being like Rockabilly in particular was being recorded because they did it the same way they did, you know, country music. Which was it sounded hollow like that's the it it, it doesn't that's not the case in every instance. Yeah. But for music that is so full of life, that part of it is you hearing them keeping time with each other, and like not that you necessarily hear someone heading their guitar, but like you you can feel that someone's doing that while they're playing. You there's energy that's not there, and that's the it's the reason that Outlaw Country happened. It's the reason things like this get re-recorded. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad to record things separately, but Nashville fucked a lot of music. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, I think this album is really fun. I, I love Bad Reputation. That's, that's you know, even in that song, you get where it's more straightforward. You still get the part where he changes up, you're the type of girl I'd like to meet, and you're the type of girl I'd like to eat. Yes. Um... Which is the, 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 the Reverend Horton Heat spin on the song that makes it not quite a normal rockabilly song. Because it starts off very Brian Setzer. And then, and if he played it straight, like, that would be what that is. Brian Setzer has some edge to him, but comparatively, he doesn't compare to Reverend Horton Heat. No. I, I, would, I would argue that Brian Setzer has an edge to him post-Stray Cats. But... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't have a whole hell of a lot else to say about this. I, I think it's real good. I think their later stuff is better. Um, I oh, mean, yeah. there are some there are some dips. I, I wouldn't necessarily have. I, I think uh, 
It's a Dark Day is really good, but it's also like two minutes too long. That's it fair. just goes on and on, and for such a slow, dour song, it shouldn't be that. <laughs> it doesn't need to be five minutes long. Um, well, uh, that's that's where uh, goth moment of the week. It's great. Um, and I like. I think the last two tracks are not particularly great. Like they're not bad, but they just again. I, I think the album needs like better sequencing. Like I would have maybe put marijuana at the end of the album just to end mm-hmm. on a higher. No, no pun intended for once. Higher note oh. than, than D for Dangerous and Love With. Um, and, and again, I would have started with I'm Mad instead of Bullet. Just because I think I'm Mad just hits you. Just It's just a fucking punch in the face that, that would have gotten the album off to a to a better start. Um, but I mean, that's like somewhat nitpicky criticisms. Like the music, the, the, the content is good. I just would have put it in a different order and made one song shorter. And but the the reason I wanted to start with this album not just because it's their first album of the '90s, but it's also it's their first album period. Yeah, it is. He's I've, I keep forgetting that he recorded so much music before. Yeah, he did a bunch of stuff before Reverend Horton Heat. Yeah, um, but I wanted to start here just because their sound does change a little bit. But this is sort of a nice uh, introduction to everything they do because there's like you get the the cheeky like. Uh, Johnny Cash vibe from Eat Steak because that's a song that Johnny Cash absolutely would have sung. And Maybe a little funny for a Johnny Cash song, but do you do you do you not know the lyrics to like a boy named Sue? Uh, I mean, I know the lyrics to One Piece at a Time, and it's funny, but like it's it, it's funny in a way that I don't think Johnny Cash would have been funny. But Johnny Cash is pretty funny sometimes. But but yeah, it, but it's it ha- definitely has like the the very like stripped down vibe you that even throughout his later career Johnny Cash still had, and I like that. And then you get Psychobilly Freakout, which is just complex and noisy and just shredding, and it's it's nice. This shredding is Psychobilly gets, but it's just it's nice. It's it's it gives you this full feeling, and you're just like that's a Psychobilly Freakout. And then, uh, yeah, it's just all over across the all across the board of what you want from a band that is connected to the various Billy music. <laughs> all the Billies. <laughs> and yeah, I like this album a lot, but I do like um, you know Cowboy Love and Bales of, Bales of Cocaine a little bit more. All right. Well, where do you think this should be ranked? Um, I think that it is probably. Hmm. That's hard. Well, what about No Depression as a starting point? You think it's better or worse than that? I think it's better than No Depression. Okay. Um, I have no problem with it going above Win and Benitas. Um, I, I I like that album a lot, but it's it's relatively short and not as accomplished as this one. <laughs> Yeah, I think it. I think it's like just above "Wind and Venus" and below that Sparks album. I think that's a good place for it. Yeah, I, I can live with that. It's sort of middle. It's like a little above middle of the road. And yeah, I think there. Are, I think they have other stuff that'll go higher. Yes, than there this. are. Um, but this is a nice introduction to like one of the said. I like sometimes when we're doing the show, particularly this first year, I'd pick an album and think, well, what if someone doesn't know? anything about this musician they want to listen along i think a good starting place is where i go for a lot of stuff so this is a good starting place 
if you want to get into the Revenhorde Keep. Might as well start at the beginning. Yeah, but I don't do it for everything. We didn't do it with placebo. No, but if you're going to start listening to a band. All right, so that'll put it at, where was that, number 24? Mm-hmm. Between Gratuitous Sax and Senseless Violins by Sparks and uh, Win and Vanitas by Bristlas. All right, so let's get that committed to the list and then we'll come back and talk about the Lemonheads. second record of this week which is also from 1990 and it is lovey by the lemonheads this is their fourth album but it was their first on a major label um it's also the first without one of the co-founders uh ben daly and so the previous lemonheads albums the first three evan dando and and ben daly uh traded off songwriting duties so they and actually like in the early days of the band they would play, you know, whoever song it was sang and played guitar and the other one would play drums on that song. So before they had a drummer, they would have to switch back and forth. Um, and I was in a band that it, it wasn't that bad. We switched, uh, me and the other guitarist switched off on bass when like whoever, whoever wrote the song played guitar on it and the other person <laughs> played bass and that also sucked. So it, it's, but you know, that we, Bass players are kind of hard to find sometimes. Um, Good ones, at least. So this is pretty different from their early stuff, which was much more straightforward punk rock. Um, So once Evan Dando had sole control of songwriting, it got way more melodic and poppy. And I mean, this album is basically Hooster Do, The Replacements, and Mission of Burma. (laughs) Like Mission of Burma is the least poppy part of their influences, but it, I mean, there are songs that sound so much like the replacements on this album that it's. See, I got the vibe. This was just like some. This is not meant to be mean in any way, but it's going to sound mean. Kind of generic alternative rock from the '90s that had a grunge influence. Except it was, you know, before grunge was really a thing. So yeah, but the, but it's but you see where I mean what I mean, right? Like it's it's just all there. It's just like, yep. Yeah, I mean, they kind of sound like a Boston band, which is what they were. Like, yeah. Boston alt-rock or Boston college rock in the, in the 80s was kind of its own thing. You know, you have the Pixies. And it's it, like Ride With Me could be in the mix of any alternative radio station, and it would just flow with it. Yeah. No, I mean, this is alternative-ass alternative rock, but with the distinction of being like right at the beginning of that oh yeah and, thing. It's, i mean it's very jangly it's jangly acoustic guitar and distorted lead guitar it, it's again like i mean the replacements were like the replacements and hooster do are both big fucking influences on early college rock so you know there you go that's that's your sound <laughs> With a little bit of like California country twang, like uh, Brass Buttons is a Graham Parsons cover. Yeah. Which, can you explain to me why anyone likes music that sounds like this? This is the kind of country that I just cannot fucking appreciate no matter how hard I try. I, I, I can't. It's just if it doesn't vibe with you, it doesn't vibe with you. But if it does, it does. It's like, it's, that's a problem with a lot of country is that like sometimes you're like, I'm going to drink to this song. 
I'm gonna fight to this song. Yeah, so in this brass buttons stuff that sounds like that to me is like the I'm sobering up at the end of the night right before the bar closes is what that makes me feel like, which is sleepy. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes sometimes people need that too. And then Slow Country's got its vibe. Like it's it's for cooling off a room, it's for cooling off an audience. And yeah, I mean I I don't mind it. I don't particularly mind country like that, but I listen to most country, except for pop country. That that is I mean, aside from like let's like put a big line across like 1989 and everything after that in country and just like just pretend that like pop country doesn't exist but like that kind of country that the brass buttons kind of country i fucking hate like i just cannot understand how anyone likes it <laughs> yeah i'm curious what do you how do you feel about dwight yoakam he's pretty good okay because he, he sometimes flirts up with that and i'm just it's it's just so boring. Like there's just nothing at all. There's no hook. There's, I mean, there's a melody, but it's weak. There's no rhythm to speak of. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't get what I'm supposed to latch onto in that it's just song. Some, it's just some meandering. It's like that's sometimes you just need that. I guess. I'm not it, saying the song is a banger because it's not, but like it's. Yeah, it, but I mean, just bringing that up to say there is like a little bit of twang to the Lemonheads too. Like, oh, it's, for sure, and it, and it's and it comes up in weird places because it's like when they're trying to fill to a to a bridge, it tends to do that, and it's like, huh, that's a little country. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you've heard the Lemonheads, like you know what this sounds like. <laughs> um, it, it is. Like, there's some really strong hooks on, on this album and on every Lemonheads album. And just some of the most vapid lyrics you will ever hear. <laughs> like, I think the album It's a Shame About Ray has some pretty good lyric writing on it. But, like, none of their other albums really do. Uh, yeah. Here was just like, man. And that was kind of like why I think this album was just there for me in my brain. Is like, it wasn't bad enough for me to, like want to eviscerate it in podcast form like I did with the fucking with fucking Oasis but it's just like man you could have just not written that well it doesn't have like Oasis has like in your face like stupid rhyming and I think that they were very confident in their lyrics it was then that's their most Beatles like failure is that they were just very confident with their fucking nonsense i mean you yeah I, I don't I think that comparing the Beatles and Oasis lyrically is just something that shouldn't be done because the Beatles are so much better. But you look, yeah, the Beatles have a couple of stupid songs. And they were very confident but... about them. <laughs> like that's what, that's what I'm comparing. It's not a, a unilateral thing. I, I, I think that the, I think that Oasis's stupid lyrics are way worse than the Beatles. Stupid oh, absolutely. Lyrics, and they're way worse than the Lemonheads' stupid lyrics. Because the Beatles at least had the excuse of lots of psychedelics. I mean, the Lemonheads, their, their vapidness, it, it's not like dumb rhymes that don't mean anything. It's that the songs are like, Okay, so my favorite song on this album is Stove, because I just love the the melody. Mm -hmm. But this it's a song about a stove. <laughs> it literally it's a song about him getting a new stove. And how he's sad to see his old stove sitting out by the side of the road. That's fair. I mean, <laughs> look. <laughs> it's so dumb though. But, you know what? but it's not badly written. Like there's lines about, you know, talking to the guy who came to replace the stove. And that's it. Like it's not like obnoxious, stupid lyrics. It's just like he. It's kind of 
generic college rock love songs but not always actually about love <laughs> like Look, it's a I love a song little, about a stove <laughs> when we replaced our shitty fridge i got a little bit nostalgic for our shitty fridge we got a fridge that's a thousand times better than our shitty fridge but i thought about our shitty fridge in the, in the garage and was like oh man that poor shitty fridge well maybe those lyrics did did more for you than they did for me but i'm just saying it's like catching that catching a feel over a weird situation happens in random situations yeah and i feel like evan dando is like the one guy who can sing songs like that so sincerely that it doesn't that like you kind of buy it like uh i think the song ride with me is really good too which is weird because i'm usually like the person who's like "Ah, i hate this fucking slow song (laughs) but like i really like that song but it's again it's just like like one of the lines is to know you know is to know it what the fuck (laughs) yes that that, that line did when you can't trust me. yourself baby trust someone else like yeah. those are lines from that song and he he sings it in a way that you fucking feel it but when you think about what he said it's like that was fucking dumb this is dumb guy shit sometimes it's just dumb dumb guy shit but like uh, he, evan dando just writes such great hooks sometimes that like even though the lyrics are usually stupid it's like it's just infectious and so, like, I mean, I think this is a really good album. I don't, I think it's a shame about Ray is the Lemonhead's best album. Like, I'll go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, so it's definitely not not their best, but, like, it's good. There's a- there's not really anything on here I just detest. No. I think Little Seed is, like, extra dumb. But Well, I do fucking hate the untitled track at the end. Because oh, yeah, yeah. That's not a song, though. No, but I'm just going to take a minute to... That's pork roll, egg, and cheese. Yes, and also angrily shout at the 90s from the luxury of 2020. <laughs> Don't. The last do track is, is an answering machine message, if, if you haven't listened to it. I was to about that. to say that. Oh, okay. Do not put answering machine messages in your fucking albums. Don't do it now. Have a great funny message. Have a hor- horrible threatening message. Don't fucking do it. Release a YouTube video now. Don't put it on your fucking album. Your answering machine messages were never funny. No, just, they just, never fucking were. Like, it's... I'm sorry. They were never funny. No one has ever left a funny message. Especially not the uh, not this one. <laughs> Please. Just... And it also sucks because the last actual song, The Door, is like... It's really good. Yes, The Door is very good. And it, like that, and it, that should have been the end, but instead it ends with somebody. I don't know if it's Juliana Hatfield or who it is. Like just being high and rambling into their answering machine. Just don't do it. Yeah, it's dumb. But I mean, it's it. See, that is dumb. That answering machine message is dumb in the way Oasis lyrics are dumb. Yes. It, like the rest of the album is not dumb like that. It's a far worse kind of dumb than the rest of the album. Yeah, I mean, this album is like, when I said earlier, this album's just furniture, it's just there. Which is me appropriating a, a, a quote from the Jersey Shore, which was then read in the style of Oscar Wilde for a press reel or a, a, like a little teaser package for a production of The Important of Being Earnest. Anyway, it's just, it's like furniture, it's just there. And like, it's not offensive, it's just, you know, it fills up a room. It, it takes up space. It's enjoyable. You can enjoy your time sitting on the sofa, but do you necess- are you necessarily moved by the sofa? I mean, unless you are moved by the stove. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. It's like it's not bad at all, and it's it's more. I have almost no opinion of the Lemonheads. 
and that's that this was nice i i listened so i kind of had decided that the Lemonheads were like a horrible mistake because i liked them when i you know post nirvana when i was discovering like grunge and college rock i i liked them a lot and then somewhere along the line i was like man that band was really stupid i shouldn't have liked that <laughs> and then like went back and listened to them about well it was, it was like early this summer i went back and listened to come on fill the Lemonheads for the first time in like 15 years and i was like holy shit this album's good and you know then i listened to it it's a shame about ray again and it's like, fuck it that album's really fucking good and so then i have had this recent renaissance of like realizing that the Lemonheads were a good band um not always but like may- maybe not after come on feel the Lemonheads. because i tried listening to tar button cloth and i thought that sucked but um yeah like i think the best thing you can say for this one is that stove and left for dead especially have this kind of like punk tempo with these airy open chords that kind of sounds like early emo bands yeah and i mean like american football midwest emo (laughs) not not like whatever emo was in the like myspace days um (laughs) but like when like it's i don't think that those bands were lightly influenced by the lemonheads but it was like this weird thing of like in the middle of all the stuff that sounds exactly like the replacements and Husker do to hear these just chord progressions that are played in a like very emo chord progressions with very emo style of playing them. And it was, it was surprising. Like, yeah. cause it was kind of like somebody touched on that and almost did it, but it wasn't quite like the, the style of music at the time was just a little more jangly than than as opposed to kind of mathy like like emo early emo bands were and so it's like they didn't quite get there but it was like at times you just really like they're button right up against it and that, that was interesting to me um yeah and like they have a lot of interesting ideas especially musically there's some interesting ideas in this album it's just it kind of goes nowhere yeah it doesn't i mean it has nothing to say it, yeah. it's a it's a a band making music to make music and yeah and just i mean literally nothing to say like when you're writing a song about your stove you you don't have anything to say um and i like at least like once evan dando got way into drugs he had a little bit more to say (laughs) because he would sing about his drug addiction which is something at least (laughs) that that is lyrical content yes indeed all right well uh, at the risk of making this uh, this episode completely boring and pointless, um, let's just go ahead and rank this because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any. I, I can't. I can't fill any more time talking about these. these I mean, songs. thirty minutes is a, a reasonable time for the show. <laughs> um. All right. So I would put this. You put it above Marcy Player, and I'm going to fight. I I would put it. Several spots above Marcy Playground. Uh, I would put this at 33. uh, Between Vision Thing and Dandy's Rule, okay. What? Because it's... Yeah, that's where I would put it. Now now fight me. Uh, Between Gary Newman and the Autors. Um, uh, 
Gary Newman album definitely has better lyrics. It does and the Dandy Warhol? Okay, that's not that far below where I wanted it. So I, yeah, so, no, I, yeah. I was I was gonna I was gonna dive in and be like, put the fucking below Marcy Playground, but actually no, I just don't want it above the Gary Newman album because the Gary Newman album is much better and memorable. I I think this is so much more memorable than that Gary Newman album. I I don't remember anything about that album except that the lyrics were about atheism. I can't oh. remember a single tune off of that album. <laughs> I remember more about the auteurs album. I just, and you'll find as we go do the show, I have I I don't hate the auteurs, but sometimes it's like, man, that was just, just that that is music that is full of itself, and the Lemon Heads is kind of not full of itself. Like it's like this album is just like, eh, it is music. It's the Keanu Reeves of college rock. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, I would. I don't, I, I don't think this this album was secretly doing good deeds. No, I mean, and this was you know, Evan Dado was about to like start dating supermodels and smoking crack, literally. <laughs> um, oh man! He started hanging out with Oasis and developed a crack habit. So fun times. That's where Evan Dando went from here. Um. All right. So yeah, I can live with the speed. So that'll make it thirty-five and put it between Exile by Gary Newman and New Wave by the Auteurs. Um. So let's see. What do we, what do, we do now? It's fucking November second. I can't think. <laughs> um. So I'll read the top ten. Uh, number ten is Ten by Pearl Jam. Number nine, Without You, I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number eight, Till Uncle by Morrissey. Number seven, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number six is Spooky by Lush. Number five, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. And number one is Nonsuch by XTC. Uh, if you want to see everything we've ranked, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. You can also search for nr1990s on Spotify to hear uh, all of the episodes we've recorded in the past. And you can also see our uh, full show playlist, which contains every album we have ranked. And also the two albums we'll be ranking next week. What is that for you, Hadrian? Uh, I was going to do a Johnny Cash album, which we might, we might do next week, but uh, for, for the week after next. But next week, I'm bringing Earthling by David Bowie. All right. And I'm going to rip off the pavement band-aid. We've talked before about not liking pavement and being <laughs> heretics in that department. So I'm going to do uh, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement for next week. I will get those added to the list. I listened to that album today, and I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. But I didn't hate it. So, Slanted and Enchanted may be the highest we ever ranked a pavement album, but. <laughs> but goddamn it, we have to talk about them. You know what else I reckon, what I, what else I realized today? What? Is that, uh, we're going to have to talk about like a million Ani DeFranco albums on this show. She well, put out like an album a year through the entire 90s. Maybe we could just do an Ani DeFranco roundup and then just to like <laughs> do a few at a time. One of our, our like. There are some Ani DeFranco songs I think are really good and some that. I really don't. I I don't think I've ever actually listened to one all the way through. <laughs> yeah, that probably that's about what I expected your your uh, feelings on her would be. I I'm sorry, I'm very predictable. Predictable. Was she a pale and sad British man? Nope. Exactly. All right. Well, you got anything else to say this week? Uh, I hope. 
hope that we're a little more put together next week. We'll have a lot to say about pavement, I think. Yeah. And and, and David Bowie. I mean. Yeah, and I really, I wanted an easy week. We made the mistake of picking two albums that you can't say a whole lot about. This like, week. What What are you going to be mean about Reverend Horn Deep? Nothing. No. The, 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 that album's fine. That album's great. It's not like the most. It's not their best album, but even they're not their best album is you know you put it on you go like yeah it's pretty good, so we we did that we did two albums that are like yeah it's pretty good, and it shows in our ranking. I mean we definitely ranked Reverend Horton Heat higher, but like I think it's just a better album. Yeah, I think so too. All right, well let's get out of here. 